0: Welcome to the Urban Wine Club Podcast. Pour a glass, sit back, and enjoy the show.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another segment of Vines Unknown, where we explore different parts of the world, where we bring to you the best of the regions that are not so familiar with us. And in this segment... We're exploring a region in the Peloponnese of Greece. We're going to be exploring Nemea. And with us today, obviously, my co-host Ari Kalos. Hello. And along with us, our special guest, a uh, not just a special guest, but I think one of, I should say, our resident of our program, <laughs> uh, Johnny Livanos of Diamond Wine Importers. Johnny, welcome to the segment. Thank you. Thanks and for having one me. more dear guests of ours that's been participating that we are honored to always have with us. Uh, cookbook author, anthropologist. Uh, she has a fascinating resume and background, but uh, with any ado, let's uh, invite also uh, Susanna Hoffman to the segment. Susanna, thank you so much for always taking time through your busy schedule because compared to what we do, I say, wow, um, this <laughs> is an to always have you here.
0: <laughs> Tell me to stop somehow. Somebody's- <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> right. And uh, this is, again, another special segment where, um, it's an area in Greece that uh, I've been familiar with over the last twenty years, being in the trade. Um, when when I first started, Nemea, which is that north uh, east corner of the Peloponnese, uh, was basically a focus point then. Before Santorini got its uh, popularity and its um, its credibility in the industry, and that's where I started. I started exploring wines from Greece from that part of the world, and then things evolve and things change. And I, and I'm glad that we're back here because I think um, we need to show some more uh, insight on this very special part of Greece. Um, For me, I always considered Nemea back then as the Napa of Greece, even though it doesn't really uh, make a direct connection, but that's the way I kind of like to explain it to those that are not familiar with Nemea. But that's why we have Johnny and Susanna here with us. Uh, Johnny, uh, Tell us a little bit more about in your experiences and your thoughts about uh, the region of Nemea.
2: Yeah, so it's funny. That actually, this was Nemea was the first, the wines from Nemea were the first Greek wines that I had um, <laughs> that made me want to dig more into Greek wine. So I, actually before uh, moving back to New York, I lived in Washington, D.C. Uh, and I was working, I was a bar manager at a restaurant called Zaitinia. Oh, nice. And they had a big Greek wine program. And I remember I had the Skouras uh, Moscofilero and the Ayoritico, the St. George, uh, which we are featuring today, both those wines. And I was just blown away at the level of quality, um, the flavor components, just all about these wines. And it's something that I wasn't familiar with. I didn't realize Greece had such really beautiful, approachable styles of wine that were also uh, so unique and had so much history um so yeah first the first one of the first regions i got introduced to and now i just ended up dedicating my life and career to greek wine so that was i feel like that was this, this region was like the focal point the starting point for me um so yeah so um as you said nemea kind of is like the napa uh of greece and I, I think i like to think of that because of its proximity to athens i think that's a big a big plus for the region is that it's so close, so close. to athens you could Right there it's near the city of Naflio, which is the um, and Susanna, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's the original capital of Greece. The
0: original capital,
2: yeah, yeah. So, the original capital of Greece is right there, right near this region of, of Nemea, modern Greece,
0: modern, Greece. yeah, yeah.
2: The original cap- the capital of modern Greece, and um, so there's basically two wines that grow in this region. Well, first of all, Nemea is the the PDO or protected designation of origin for uh, the what, the grape Aioritico. So I'm going to share my screen, actually. I'm going to, I'm going to show a little a couple slides just to kind of talk about it in a little bit. Uh, so well, here we are. Here's our map of Greece. Um, Athens is right there in the middle. And then if you drive over the Corinth Canal, you're right there. So Na- Naflio is somewhere in this area here in this little red Splotch, this is the region of Nemea. And then as a whole, we're talking about the whole Peloponnese today. Uh, and right here, this yellow orange spot is Mantenia. So these are the two main wine regions of the Peloponnese. So the Peloponnese is a peninsula. It kind of looks like a giant island, but it's connected by a tiny, tiny strip of land right here mm-hmm. um, over the, the Corinth Canal. Um, Mantenia is dedicated to white wine, uh, the grape Moscofilero. And then Nemea is dedicated 100% to Aioritico, which is a red wine region. Um, and the region in his- historically was called uh, St. George, Ios Yorgos, uh, which is where the name of the grape comes from, Aioritico. And Aioritico means St. George in Greece. Um, I was going to go through a couple of slides, show some pictures, and then we could just chat casually mm-hmm. about, about them. Uh, and then we're, we're we're featuring three wines from the our a producer. We import uh, Domaine Skouras. Um, and the two wines we're tasting, again, Moscofilero and Ayoritico. So these are some pictures of the grapes. Um, what I love about this region is, and you know, you compared it to to Napa Valley. Remember, Napa Napa's like a very, there's a lot of mountains and hills. It's a valley. Um, and Ayurit- uh, Nemea and, and, and Mantenia both are high elevation vineyards. So the Peloponnese and in Greece in general, a lot of people think of Greece as just islands. But Greece is, I think it's over 70% covered in mountains. So actually, there are a lot of high altitude wine regions. And Montanilla, where the Mosco Filero grows, it's actually one of the tallest, or well, highest elevation of wine vineyards in, in Europe. Um, for for this, the wine we're tasting today, the white wine, Mosco Filero, it's um, about 2,000 feet of elevation, just really, really, really high altitude, creates really flavorful, flavorful wines. Uh, so this is George Skouras. He's the uh, founder of Domaine Skouras. And he's one of the modern, the godfathers of modern Greek winemaking. Um, he built Jermaine in 1986 and he, he studied in France and Dijon and brought a lot of his experience working in France and applying those to, to Greek varietals. And then we got his son, Dimitri, he's taken over and he's, he's a great, uh, winemaker and, and is, is the next generation. And I have some, some pictures. You can see how it is like a rolling, rolling hills and valleys. And this is the, the, um, the Mantania, uh, region. You can see some of these beautiful tall mountains with vineyards just facing the sun. Um so really unique climate terroir here. Definitely worth visiting. I highly recommend going there if you're traveling to Greece. Um, it's only a short drive from Athens, so you don't have to you don't have to take a flight or a ferry. It's right there. You take you can take a, a bus. Um and I have a quick video. Can I play this? This is just, just yeah. George Skouras describing Moscow Filero. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, He's just better at describing it than me, and I, I love the way he speaks <laughs> about it. He
3: speaks like like poetry, the way he talks about these grapes. Can you hear it okay? Actually, I don't hear it. No. Take my, I, I, my, my mom headphones mom. out. Oh, there it goes. It
0: is, uh, in the center of Peloponnes, I make wine of uh, the of Yes, Uh here. Yes. is it is a grape uh, variety. In the Wait, I realize I could share my audio. I think
2: make it, that may make it easier to hear.
3: Tell me if it's. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Moscow Filero, it
0: is it's my grape, I love that. Filero uh, is uh, a grape uh, variety, I find it up, and there is, and for that, because of that, it's typical. Uh, at uh, about uh, 2200, and imagine the harvest. Uh, as this area, it is, uh, it's an area, itself, they have red, so there is aspro, which uh, is more green. There is the example Filero. Uh, Blond blonde filero, which is another grape. The Mavro filero, which is a black filero. So, a lot of uh, the wine, not color. It's unbelievable, So uh, like transparent. <laughs> but um, the wine is uh, always aromatic. uh you uh, see our, our, our own filero, it's hard to one. Because, uh, uh, you know, we go for a uh, scent of three-round uh, juice after that. And, um, well, to the rain, like that, to have that grape,
2: cool. So yeah, I just wanted to share that because I feel like he, he talks so well about, about Moscofilero and sometimes it's uh, it's hard to, hard to speak better than the man who makes wine himself. Uh, so Moscofilero, again, is one of the main is the main white variety of this region um, and maybe we should have a little taste before we talk about Absolutely. the rest.
1: So I think we're, we're, we have two different well, two Moscofileros from Skuras, right? But they're equally delicious, but one obviously is different than the other, right?
2: Yeah. So we have the two. We have the, the regular Moscow Filero. Uh, and then, yep, so that's a 2019 Moscofilero from Skuras. So that's the classic style. And uh, one thing he didn't mention that I think is important mentioning, like the words Mosco filero, it's, it's kind of, it basically means like the smell of flowers. And this is when you have this wine for the first time, you're kind of struck by how floral it is. It's a very delicious, bright, floral wine. Really, really, really aromatic. Uh, it kind of reminds me of style dry Riesling or Greek Wurzstraminer or Pinot Gris. Like wines in that category that are like light, but aromatic at the same time. Mm. Um, that 's something I really love about them they 're so fresh they 're so complex aromatic floral just really delicious plus they go with a lot of different dishes because they have the bright acidity um, and having high acidity does help with pairing with that 's always something
1: i 'm um, a big fan of mosco i 'm I'm a big fan of white wine. I drink a ton of different di- types of white wines but what I like to suggest or recommend um, whites uh, in general, Moscow Fielder is in that top uh, selection of recommendations. And I don't even tell people what it is before I let them try it. I just let them try it first. And then I tell them what happens. After.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it always yeah. works.
2: That's always a good idea. Because <laughs> uh, I feel like a lot of times, especially when people are trying wines from countries that they're not familiar with, or trying wines that they don't know so well. It's kind of nice to just Let them taste it without having any preconceived idea Mm -hmm. of what it is, and that's something I love to do when I'm sharing wine with people. Just like get them try it and then talk to them about it. You know, let them make their own, uh, have their own opinion, form their own opinion about the wine without maybe bringing in any sort of incorrect biases maybe taint their expense and that's something i always like to do let people really taste it for what it is and then tell them like talk about the history uh and what makes yeah i I love this wine um so and what what george scorers was mentioning in the video how it's a unique grape because there are so many different types of clones that all fall under the same family of moscow filero and it's unique because it is a white grape but it has a pink skin um so if you actually go to see the grapes they don't look white you almost you'd think they're like the, you're making a rose or something red. out of them. Yeah. And actually, the second Mosco filero we have is the um, the Salto Mosco filero. So it's another style from George Scuras. Um, and this is another version. Yep. So the Salto Mosco filero is 100% made with the Mavro filero clone. Uh, so Mavro filero is the black filero. So it's a much darker skinned version of the grape. But it's still um, white grape. But it's still white. Yeah. So it's still white, but it has a little bit more complexity because of the skin. Co- the skin color has more compounds, in it. Um, and what makes this unique, this wine extra special is they use only wild yeast to ferment the wine. Uh, so you know, a lot of times when you're making a wine, um, you know, you're using inoculated yeast, special yeasts that you want. Um, but by using the wild yeasts, you're basically capturing flavor that is in- natural to the to the area. Um, so a little bit more, you know. Terroir-driven, completely capturing all the flavors that are special to the region of Montaña and the Peloponnese.
1: And Johnny, w- where is the w- where did the term "salto" come? From? Is, is that because a... here's the thing when when uh, and I've and I've come across this before. I always get asked, "Does the wine taste salty?" Yeah. So, no, it doesn't. Right? No. But there's some element of um, dryness mm-hmm. that I don't know if that's where it comes from or if there's some other. Um, relation to the term salto but
2: immediately- you know i always get asked these questions where where, where the names come from and i don't I, I don't always know um yeah i i can't oh. honestly honestly name that answer the name answer that but uh, uh maybe i like to say alto means tall well, and it's a t- high elevation I just, I just answer
1: my own question <laughs> on the back on the back mm-hmm. of the label
3: maybe the maybe the-
0: maybe Susanna has some insight i don't know well, I think we should start with the meaning of the name Nemea, Okay, means it comes from the verb to graze. It means grazing land, and so it was, um, you know, a, a wonderful land, which originally, of course, when the Greeks came in, they had cattle, but now you would see that it, it's sheep and goats and um, beautiful rolling hills, um, and it was famous, and this may have something to do with the term, it was famous for its celery, the area. So our wild celery, you have to realize that Greeks, as well as the uh, drinking wonderful wine and having indigenous grapes, have about 125 different wild greens wow. that they eat. And um, among them wild celeries, wild parsleys, um, all kinds of cress. And this area is famous for all of those. You can go on I, I and, they, and gather. Are you
1: known, uh, known for the term horta?
0: Yes, oh. which is the same as our, our cohort. Somebody that you farm with is what it is.
1: Really? I never never knew that.
3: Susanna, so, you're always such a pleasure because I always learn something new with you.
1: <laughs> it's
2: true. There's so much to, there's so much to learn. It's, I love that. I didn't know <laughs> that at all.
0: And since you're speaking of aroma, do you realize what aroma means? It comes from homa, which means soil, which means that it is the scent of freshly turned dirt. Oh. <laughs> oh.
2: Wow. <laughs> that- have you seen the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? It's like, the word comes from <laughs> this word.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. Awesome. I, I, lo- I love the Moscow filarose. I think they're incredibly refreshing, um, the variety of them, the complexity. Um, for me, um, I may be kind of off, off the margins here, but I find it more summer wine. Mm-hmm. I really, really enjoy its refreshingness. I am absolutely a devotee of Icarpichico. And of, of the lowlands and the highlands and everything from cinnamon and fruits to chocolate and oak in them, which I absolutely adore. So I, I don't know whether we're going to get that far, but uh, <laughs> we, we move up to the other regions. Oh, I'm also, just to add a few, a few notes about how long it's been a great growing region. Of course, this is the Argolid, which is from Argos and it's and Mistini is in it. Um, as in as is Corinthos, so this is the center of the Mycenaean um, civilization, and where Argos and Jason and the Argonauts sailed from, and where the whole Iliad and Odyssey take place, um, they sail from here, and the mythology of Nemea and the Lion of Nemea in, uh, that Heracles uh, uh, conquers, so there are Minoan sites, there are many, many Mycenaean sites, um, they, of course, were already infiltrating when the Minoans still were um, dominant, and only became uh, took over after the Minoans disappeared with the um, eruption of Santorini. And so they've been growing these grapes for 2,000 years.
1: Yeah. So did did these like Mycenaeans and these voyages uh, include wine in their voyages? Do we have any like recollection recordings of that?
0: Oh yeah, I mean. but the main thing they were trading, in all honesty, was olive oil.
1: Really? They were
0: the first to um, be able to press actual olive oil, the, the Minoans were. And you can still see a lot of their circulars, their, their, their press. And the, the trade was made, the major thing was in olive oil. But in terms of the grapes, they took the grapes, they and the, Mycena, the Mycenaeans and the early Greeks took the grapes all over the Levant, that is in Lebanon and Israel, all over Turkey, up through what is now Armenian Croatia, over to France, up the Loire Valley, and over to Spain. So when people talk about the Agiorgitico related to Sangiovese in Italy, it's probably accurate. Um, and certainly um, most of the, if you take the DNA down of many of the grapes of Italy and, and the, the whole Mediterranean region, you'll find that they came from, um, greeks sp- uh, spreading the grape seeds
1: <laughs> nice nice well i i want to make a quick comment t- to what you just mentioned Susanna. when i first was introduced to ayuritico this is going back 25 years and at that time and i remember listening to um george scudas or he was giving us uh, a lecture about um Nemea, where in the beginning they were still trying to understand Agoritiko from a Uh, from a farming, from growing, and from a production standpoint. And they they were trying to master it or they were trying to um, refine it. So when I first started tasting Aguritico 25 years ago, back then when they were producing it, the the thought was it reminded people of something close to Gamay or wines from Beaujolais, right? And then as time went on and they started to actually... Uh, evolved, and they got better at producing uh, their make their wine practices, and aguritico was evolving. Now you mentioned when we when we drink different selections of aguritico from Nemea, it's reminding of, us of Sangiovese. It's it's amazing how over 20 years how the evolution of the flavor profile, the characteristics have changed because of the methods and the mastering of the grape have changed as well. That now we find ourselves that it's being more related to a different part of the world, and then I'm, it's fascinating to just listen to what you're saying, and then I'm listening to myself on what I remember go uh, from what it used to taste like and what it tastes like today.
2: Those are all good points, yeah. And I, f- I feel like the depending on the the winemaker, you could get a lot of different t- styles and types of Ayori. And you know, actually, in the in the region of Nemea, they also make sweet wine, dessert wine. Uh, out of mm-hmm. Ayritico as well, uh, which is really interesting to see how one grape, one region, a, a plenty different, a lot of different styles and types uh, of wine. Um, yeah, cause I think the St. George that we have today from Scoras is kind of like Gamay style, like a Pinot Noir. It is a little bit, a little bit lighter. Uh, but then I've had other, other ones that are maybe each in a barrel for two years. They have this, they have their like, kind of like a Sangiovese have so much going on in depth. Uh, and it's cool to see depending on the winemaker and the, the location of the vineyards, you could have kind of like a, uh, just a range from the variety. It's really fun. to. See.
1: And what- and, mm-hmm. What's interesting, too, about Nemea is that I noticed most producers um, also produce estate wines, so they grow their own grapes versus mm-hmm. purchasing their grapes, yeah. which I find to be very fascinating uh, within a small region compared to other parts of the world.
2: Yeah, and and, and Skouras also, he, he has all, all this his own vineyards that he grows his own, which all go into this line of, uh, and the St. George is one of his most popular best-selling labels, but he also has the Grand Cuvée, uh, which is a single vineyard uh, expression uh, using aging and all new oak, as well as the, you've had the Megasinos, which is a blend of ayuritico and cabernet. One of my favorites. So, Yeah. A few different types of styles using, using the ayuritico grape.
1: If I'm not mistaken, I think Megasinos was the first label uh, from Nemea to really, uh, elevate and put um, the the Aguritico variety on a high tier, uh, like Megasinos was like the cuvee or the um, uh, the reserve of Aguriticos, um mm-hmm. that you know really touched upon the interest of non you know or international wine drinkers. Megasinos. Totally.
2: Yeah, no, that was one of the first wines that we imported. Um, and I think before that wine came to the States, the first vintage, I think, was uh, the 1986 vintage was the first vintage. And so, yeah, right now we're on the, we're on. And um, that was one of the first wines from Greece to kind of put Greek wines on a, a on a more, bring kind of theme to region and, and show that Greek winemakers are taking it seriously and are able to put really delicious, serious age-worthy wines that can compete, you know, with France, Italy, Spain, U.S. Uh, and the Megasinos was that label, was that brand that kind of turned the attention and the spotlight onto Greece. Yeah. Uh, which is great. Cause it, you know, I think he had to blend Cabernet in there. It's like, oh, I, I'll taste, I know Cabernet, I'll drink that. I, and then from right. there, it opened the doors and allowed us to, um.
3: Whoa.
0: I think my yeah. first was the, was the Grand Reserve.
2: Yeah.
0: Which, um, I still am extremely fond of, um. And it's, it's, it's more the Highland um don't you, wouldn't you say? A little more mm-hmm. chocolatey, a little less fruit forward, um, but it's still within the, the aguirre um range of, of flavor. So, certainly a little more fruit forward than xinomavro, bro, mm-hmm. but um, uh, absolutely delightful.
2: Totally. I definitely oh. agree. And it's awesome how like having a higher altitude in your yeah. treats so much more flavor. And I think that's what makes a lot of the Greek wine, the wine growing regions so special and so unique is that they grow on these high altitude, high altitude valleys and mountain. Uh, you capture so much, so much flavor, so much aroma, so much complexity. Um, and it, it just, it just speaks to the uniqueness uh, and the biodiversity of Greece and their terroir.
1: Um I'm sure we're going to be starting to get some questions uh, mm-hmm. soon, but um, so Nemea now, I mean, being cultivated for so many years, St. George, so it's named after St. George, right? The variety. So it's named after, if I'm not mistaken, Susanna, was there a Byzantine church in Nemea uh, called yeah. St. George?
0: That's what it, it comes from. And of course, St. George, as uh, with many countries, including England, St. George is the patron saint of Greece. Oh. And you have to realize what George means, because most people don't. And that is the geo, G-E-O on George, is the same as geography, geology. It means earth. earth. So George was a farmer. Oh. So that's what George means.
1: That's what that means. So all the Georges I know, I'm going to start calling them farmers. Yes, you're going to that is, there, sense? Is, is there any, is there that any,
2: I feel like I heard this, but I, like maybe it's a rumor and I feel like Susanna might know, but I, I always thought that people called the wine St. George because you know, in the icons of St. Yorgos, you see him with the spear, yes. like st- st- uh, stabbing a dragon or like a, a monster and it's like the blood, I don't know, into the, in the vines. I, I've heard that. I don't know if that's true or not. Someone that's just a made up myth. I think
0: that's oh. lot, yeah, that's know. a little, lot.
2: As,
1: um, as Greeks rewriting
0: to the narrative, yeah. <laughs> Um it's probably more because he was the patron saint of the region. Okay. And it means little Saint George. It doesn't mean direct. It little tiny Saint.
2: Yeah, little Saint George. Eritico.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so is there still is? Do you do we know is that church still there? Or is that way no. right, way I
0: don't know.
1: Um you know Susanna, um, I've always noticed that when you uh when we ship wine because uh-huh. we have that ability, you always get a lot of nemea in your packages. <laughs> right? Yes, that says a lot for us because, <laughs> um, you know, we get a lot of a lot of uh questions, we get a lot of emails and we get a lot of folks. Uh, those for those that actually are heavy red wine drinkers and want to try Greek reds, they're always asking. You know, what can you recommend? Because I love to drink cabs. I'm a red blend, you know, red blend drinker. Usually we always uh, gravitate to wines from the mayor, not because they're exactly like that. But I think because they have enough structure, they have enough depth, they have great flavor profiles. And recently in the last handful of years, they're so well balanced Mm -hmm. that I think that uh, anyone that's tried wines from the mayor are immediately sold on wines. Oh strategy.
2: totally. They're they're so approachable and, and I feel like they, they work with a variety of palette types. Right. And when I was working at my family's mm-hmm. restaurants, I felt like I could I could never would fail I would never make someone upset when I brought a bottle of Ayuritico to the table nice. because it's 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 a type of wine that Like if you're a Cabernet drinker, I think you'd like it. If you're a Pinot Noir drinker, you're going to love it. If you like Sangiovese, you're going to love it. There's something in that has components of all those types of wines. Right. It it, it doesn't resemble all of them, but it has little aspects of each of them in it that I think makes it a versatile wine that depending on who you are, what kind of wines you like. It's great. And that's why it's, it's a great wine for parties. Um, it's a great wine if you're having a dinner over with a lot of people and, and you don't know what to open up because it's something that goes well with food. They age well, you know, they, 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 depending on who's making them, they, they typically age them in Oak or a variety of styles of Oak. Uh, so they tend to do very well aging um, and they're pretty value driven wines. You know, they're, I not, they're, say that. they're not that expensive. And I feel like this, the score of St. George, for example, I, I'm not sure, Ari, how, uh, uh, well, how
1: much you sell it for, but it, it retails in the mid teens, yeah. I mean,
2: under $20, under and $20. I think you, you're getting a bottle of wine that tastes a lot more expensive than it is, correct? Uh, which is and, and people really tend to, to they people really do love it, so yeah. You know, I, a, a
0: very famous uh, wine critic who claims that this is the wine he served at Easter, and yeah. he's not Greek,
2: <laughs> it's a it's a perfect Easter wine. Perfect. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I think that's appropriate. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I did get, actually, I bought Magnums of the St. George's Scorus for Easter for my family. Because um, one bottle is not enough for my, my, my Greek family. Oh, no. So I got to get double-sized bottles. And, and it, was, it was definitely a hit. Because um, they have, you know, they're full, they have enough body and tannins to kind of m- match up to the to meat, to lamb. Right. Uh, but at the same time, they're not overly tannic. They're very, kind of in the middle. So you could, you could have a few glasses over the course of the, of the Easter day while you're waiting for the lamb to finish roasting.
1: <laughs> well, we got Thanksgiving coming up, right? So I'm then, sure yeah. uh, there's a place on the table for ayuritiko for sure. hundred um, percent. Because I know that as Greek families, and we still do this as much as we, you know we think that we're going to change, that right next to the turkey, there's always platters of some type of lamb dish.
2: Uh-huh. That's how my family does it. <laughs> I have a, My family is a mix of Italian and Greek, so we yeah. do a turkey. My mom makes a lasagna, and then my, my grandma or my dad will do like a, a lamb roulade. It's always a whole medley, and I can't wake, I can't wake up the next day without, without oh. holding my stomach up. Johnny, <laughs> I,
3: I think I'm coming to your house for Easter, so <laughs> prepare yourself. I have
0: to add what I do. Oh, I, I, I make sardaglia, and I cover a slather the turkey. In Scordalia while I'm roasting it. Oh,
2: wait. That yes. is genius. And the
0: crust is amazing. Do you do like a potato about, Scordalia? Yes, yeah, so a potato almond Scordalia. And, uh, it, and I mean, I slather it. It's covered in it. And the crust comes out, oh, you know, a good quarter of an inch.
1: Covered in garlic paste.
3: Susanna.
1: Johnny, I'm, cancel yeah. my uh,
3: <laughs> cancel my trip to your house. I'm going to Susanna's.
1: Susanna, we got to do a cooking demo with you.
2: Oh well, yeah, that's great. I just learned something new because you know the turkey, it's funny because every Thanksgiving it's like the last thing everyone eats. We always eat the Greek stuff first,
0: right.
2: and uh, I, that could be a way to save tur- the turkey. Oh, covered nice. in scordalia. For those of you who who don't know what scordalia is, it's a classic greek dish or accompaniment or uh, it's a
1: it's all a, of the above
2: it's a lot of things it's yeah. it's like depending on how you make it it could be a dip but it's potato based with garlic and some people make it with bread and garlic and some people use and there's always like almonds or nuts sometimes involved um but the main thing is the garlic greek and, uh,
0: lots of garlic lots of
2: garlic <laughs> and um,
0: i'll add something to that it is the main thing that greeks argue over whose mother makes it best? yeah
1: <laughs> wow!
2: Wow! I can, I want to cover my turkey with that, and then have a glass of my go on the side, and I think I'll be happy. Happy person this thing.
1: Oh man, we should do like a virtual connection and and, and try uh, during Thanksgiving and see what's going on.
2: Oh yeah, I'm take I'll take pictures and I'll show you.
1: Perfect. Perfect.
3: <laughs> Oh,
1: I mean, that, that's Johnny's polite way of
3: saying no, Fatih. I'm not gonna. Uh, I'll have I'll with you have, I'll in have real this, time. I'll have Zoom in the background. I have to. i <laughs> in the turkey.
2: Well, I can't. I don't. I'm just
1: saying. Uh, we're gonna have a lot of Zoom Thanksgivings this this year.
2: <laughs> it's funny. This is the first Thanksgiving where you know, it's gonna be less than. 30 people in my house it's crazy yeah we're just yeah, doing man. only the immediate family and and my a few cousins well but we'll see it will v- probably grow by the time thanksgiving comes. We'll make sure no one no one feels, no one has the heart to say no to somebody
1: right exactly <laughs> um but in any do i th- i think that uh, we've got some good questions that just came in from our from our audience and we'd like to take the time to kind of give them some um attention to what they're asking sure Ari, you want to run down some of the questions that came in? Uh, sure.
3: Okay. Um, I think the first one is, uh, do they make sparkling? Um, I mean, they make sparkling all
2: around Greece, but I do not believe in Nemea. It can be called Nemea if it's sparkling. Because Nemea is only red grapes. It's only Ayoritico. Okay. Um, I've never actually had a sparkling Moscow filetto before.
1: Actually, but... I'm going to jump in real quick. Yeah. I have, uh, there is a sparkling from Montania and Mr. Yannis um, Telepos, um, the main Telepos uh, actually produces a sparkling called uh, Amalia that's made from Moscofulero.
2: Oh, yeah, I did have that. I and forgot that's that was a, a, uh,
1: that's a uh, yeah. champagne method uh, sparkler. So, yeah, they do. They, well, in Montania, that's the only one that I'm aware of. Um, I you're right. Um, so, but I, as Johnny had said, I think that uh, different producers, and we did have, for example, in our last segment, we had uh, Stamatis Milonas uh, on, and he's in Attiki, and they're exploring sparkling wine. So I think that more, the areas around Greece are starting to explore this category. But yeah, yes.
2: we we import some sparklings from Northern Greece, uh, and also in Santorini they do make some sparkling wine as well mm-hmm. um, with the Syrtiko. We're actually, we're gonna, we're, we just brought in limited amount of sparkling pet nat from Santorini uh, from Vasaltis, which is. Um, When's that gonna come? We had a, a few came in earlier this year and okay. it, it sold out instantly. We are now oh. bringing in a bunch. So uh, I think at the end of the year, we have some more coming in.
1: Can you just tell us, real quickly to our audience, what does pet nat mean? <laughs> it
2: means it's a, it's like a shortened of like two French words, Petalant Natural. Uh, yeah. So it's like it's a more traditional. Um, it's called like an ancient method of producing sparkling wines. So you know you have a lot of different ways to make uh, sparkling wines. Method Charmat, where uh, the wine goes through a secondary fermentation tank,
1: yeah. uh, which
2: gets all the bubbles. Uh, then you have method Champenois, which is the champagne, st- uh, the champagne oh. method, basically how they make how they make wine, uh, sparkling wine, and champagne, where secondary fermentation occurs in the bottle. Um, and that's how the carbonation gets in. Um, and then the pet knot is like a, it's an ancient method or a rural or artisanal method um, where basically it's bottled. The wine is bottled before fermentation is complete. Um, right. So when there's, when they're doing fermentation, you know, fermentation creates alcohol. Uh, it creates CO2. Uh, normally the CO2 is released out. Um, but mm. this basically before the bottle, the wine is finished fermenting they put it in a bottle and cap it so it finishes fermentation in the bottle which allows you know all that carbon dioxide and natural sugars in the grapes to just kind of capture and and create uh, carbonation inside the bottle but typically they're a little bit lighter in terms of of how uh, carbonated they are compared to champagne um but typically i feel like your most pet gnats you see nowadays are um they're kind of a little bit funkier they're a little little bit more unique um you so know, when, you pour,
1: when you pour a glass of Pet are and, and it's cloudy and mucky looking, it's okay.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're more, again, they're more of like an artisanal, um, just like a rustic style of winemaking, but it, they have a lot of fun flavors and um, there's so many different types now that I've been trying where they have a little bit of sourness to it, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they make them all over, all over the world and it's becoming a lot more popular now as so like a natural wine movement. Yeah,
1: keep, keep your, uh, Ari, keep your eyes out on Pet Nut.
3: You know, I was I was a little bit embarrassed because when he said when he first said PetNet, I laughed along with you guys, but I had no idea what he was talking about. So, thanks, Fatih for asking him to explain that. (laughs) Um, One more uh, question, actually, a couple more more questions. Uh, In the same vein of the first question, how about rosés?
2: Yeah, so I, I believe. Technically, if it's, if, it's to, if it has a Nemea label, it has to be a red wine. But they do make rosés out of Ayoritico. Um, and George Skouras actually makes a rosé called the Zoe, the Zoe rosé, which is a blend of actually Ayoritico and Moscofilero. Uh, so it has both ver- both grapes in there. Um, so like you have the floral aromatics, freshness from the cofilero, and then the Ayoritico gives it some body and the color. Um, so they do make rosés in the region. Um, but yeah, uh-huh. so, you know, with the the actual the PDO the appellation of Nemea, oftentimes comes with rules and laws that they must follow to call the the wine Nemea. So I don't think you could have a rose called Nemea, but I'm sure, but people do make rosés right. in in that yeah. region and with the with the Iovitico variety. Okay, call it. They just call it. Rosé Ari- Ayuritico from the Peloponnese.
3: Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, one, uh, another question. Uh, do Nemea wines age well? Oh, hmm. yes. <laughs> I,
2: like, I like that response. All
0: All
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they, they age very, very well. I mean, what I love about these wines is that you can drink them young. You can drink them fresh. They tend to, they, they're meant to be drunk now but with aging, they just get better and more complex and delicious. Yeah, I, I think they age very, very well. They have strong tannins, so that helps the ones develop in the bottle. Um, but yeah, they're great because you could have them now or you could, you, could, you know, I like buy six bottles, have one now, have one next year, and then leave one in there for That's a not while.
1: happen.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's not have happen. some now, save some for later. Um, okay, one more question as far as I see here. Um, do they grow other red grapes in the mayor?
2: So... They do grow them, but like to be considered Nemea, it has to be Ayuritico. So mm. Nemea is really like a hundred percent dedicated to ayuritico. Um But probably in the areas surrounding Nemea is where you'll they'll grow other grapes. I mean George Scouras his his winery produces Chardonnay, he produces Syrah, he produces Cabernet, Cofilero. So he grows he makes a lot of different types of wine in that region. But Nemea is really just. Hundred percent Ioritico. Um, that's that's the best. That's a grape that does the best in that region. Uh, so people focus on that grape and Nemea and Ioritico. The uh, but they do. They can grow other wines, other grapes, but it's just not going to have the Nemea stamp. You know, they'll they'll bottle it as a separate thing. Um.
1: um
3: somebody. We, all right. Somebody wrote spirits. I'm going to assume they mean spirits.
2: Maybe Tsipuro? <laughs> yeah. So um, we. Uh, Diamond importers, we import uh, a Tsipuro, which is a Greek grape distillate, um, and from, uh, from a distillery called Verino, uh, which is in the similar region, in the Peloponnese. And he, pr- he buys all the grape skins from George Skouras, and he makes fantastic Tsipuros out of Ayuritico and out of Moscofilero. Um, and so to make Tsipuro, you take, you take the skins and sediment Basically, after you finish making the wine, you take the leftover skins and you go and you distill that. Uh, basically, all the all the alcohol, the wine that was left in the skins, now you could capture that and bottle it. So you have this really extremely flavorful, aromatic spirit called Tipuro that comes from the the grape to the. So yes, they do. They do. They do make fantastic spirits in the region, mainly Tipuro.
1: Nothing goes to waste.
2: No, nothing. Yeah. Uh, and another, another um, it's I guess it's kind of close the, the the city of Patra. Uh, Patras is pretty close to Nemea right yeah a couple hours but it's on the, the west coast Yeah, Well northwest in the Peloponnes right yeah and they make a spirit called Tentura uh, Tentura is a cinnamon liqueur that they, they basically they don't, not, they don't cinnamon is not something you really grow in Greece but because a it, it, spice tray passed through the town of Patras um, they had a lot of different spices like cloves and cinnamon that passed through. There was trading in there, and they would make liqueurs out of them. So, Tentura is another you could find. From-
1: I have a question for Susanna. Are you a Tsipuro or Ikea drinker?
0: came yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Corrected. Corrected. Susanna,
3: I, I just want to tell you uh, my mom's maiden name is Tsikudakis. Oh. So she she told me growing up that her family invented Sikudia, and I like to believe that that's true. So
1: Where are you're welcome. Royalties, everybody. royalties, my friend. <laughs> but uh, I think it's fascinating that uh, this whole like circle of growing grapes, producing wine, and then taking what's left over and producing spirits, which actually end up becoming, they're called apostagmata, the but they're also a form of digestivos. They help us digest the whole experience that we just went through—food and wine. Isn't that to me? That's fascinating.
2: Yeah, I love that. And, you know that, and nothing I mean? goes, nothing goes to waste. No, that's you- why tipiro in Greece—it's it's so plentiful. It's it's abundant. You you find it everywhere. It's pretty inexpensive. It's, you know, it's a casual drink you have everywhere in the tavernas. It's because in Greece, no one's throwing away the skins. Like, no one's just going to throw anything away. Nothing's going to go to waste. So every, every drop of juice from those grapes is going to be put in a bottle um, and, and in one form or another.
1: And now I'm coming across this. Uh, this tell new...
0: people, you should tell people that Tsipora and tsikoudia are the same thing. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. just a dialect. Difference but depending yeah. where you
1: come from, from in Greece, no one wants to group it as one thing. It's like we, we, we of course,
0: not,
1: but, uh, but
0: basically, the, it's yeah. be- the other but thing that,
1: um, that I'm coming across lately. Uh, if you haven't come, if you haven't seen yourself, is a barrel aged cipro tsikudia. That's <laughs> becoming a thing,
2: yes, it is right? so good. That's yeah, it's, it's like it's like com- taking cognac, but like adding. S- aroma to it like cognac I, I don't drink too much cognac or armagnac but i've i have some barrel aged cipros where they're just they're so soft and smooth and and like they're mysterious too like you, it's perfect after dinner drink right. um, but they're da- they're dangerous because they're so easy to drink that you, know, you don't realize they're like 45 percent alcohol well
1: so the fact that we're getting into this new world of aging cipro or barrel aging and it's to me it's like wow this is amazing because no one would ever think that Cipro uh, would would take this level of um, production, but I'm getting a lot of uh, conversations with others that are seeking out barrel aged Cipro or Cipro. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, grape, grape based spirits and grapes in general, they great products like one brandy, they do well in barrel aging. Those flavors, the flavors of the barrel, I think help Cipro develop and change. Um, and I think, you know, in Greece, like they, a lot of people were always, they would rather have ha- ordered cognac, right? Like they, re- or bourbon or you know, they weren't looking at what they could make of themselves. Like they never thought to barrel age it. And now you're starting over the last 20 years, you're starting to see people you know, do more experimentation. Right, more. Right, yeah. And I think uh, yeah, this, I've been trying to study a little bit about Tsiporo, its history. And it's a very unique thing because only until the 2000s, were you legally allowed to commercially like, sell Tsiporo. Before that, it was really just something you were making at home. Yeah, it was just like, it was like, that was it. You were just, it was something you either made at home or you had like one distillery in the village that would, that would basically make tiporo with everyone's grapes. You weren't bottling it and going to a liquor store and like buying tiporo. Yeah. You know,
1: yeah. Now that you say that, I think you're right. Like, definitely. I never saw tiporo prior to 2000. No, no. Anyway. Yeah.
2: You weren't, it wasn't something you commercially, there was no commercial distilleries for tiporo. There would be like more smaller, smaller production, more just to share with neighbors. But now that, that the market is open, you commercially do it, you're going to see people, because basically they could sell it now, so there's
3: more money that could go into it.
1: Well,
2: yeah.
0: Maybe yeah. that's
3: what my mom was talking about when she said her family invented it.
0: <laughs> <Yeah. Well, laughs> the selling came quite late to Greece. I mean, yeah. uh, they, 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 in, in the ancient times, they certainly had every kind of wine and all of these uh, indigenous grapes that you can imagine. But they didn't distill anything. But strangely enough, they did distill turpentine. It was only about five hundred years ago that they actually began to distill what the remainders of the grape. So um, I'm not That's saying maybe... that this is new, Cyprianosia, um, think... but it's, it's uh, in Greece's terms, it's relatively. New.
2: Yeah, mm.
1: <laughs> Who, was there someone responsible for teaching them how to distill?
2: It all goes to the monks. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. does <laughs> Typo. <laughs> so, started, I think, so in Johnny, the monasteries in northern Greece, in, in so the south, Mount Athos.
1: If I wanted to make typo in my backyard, can I still call it typo?
2: No, legally you can only call it, it protected. Yeah, legally you could only call it Tipuro if it's from Greece.
1: Because I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, there was somebody in either Pennsylvania or New York, upstate New York, that was actually trying to bottle domestic tipuro.
2: There's there's also I heard it I think it was in Oregon actually. Oregon? Uh, there was a,
1: yeah, yeah, somewhere. There was, was a distillery
2: it. making you no, know, no, no. Okay. In Oregon there was a distillery making uzo. And then I think it was in New Jersey a distillery making tepuro. Um and I you know, they I think they're still calling it teapuro, but technically technically they can't. Technically it's so, it's against the, the rules of the eu you know the well, eu the, protects okay. protects Tsipuro. the same well, way champagne has to come from champagne france and
3: what if your what if your legal last name is Tsikudaki's
2: i think I think, you, I think only ari gets a pass then you you might you might be able to slip a slip a greek uh
0: a 20 well, to be a little tzikudaki yeah. <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm, I'm a tsikudaki. You, you could only make it in little bottles then you, then you'd be okay oh
1: wow this is great this is i mean we've learned so much in this segment um even though we're like you know choosing certain regions we're just like really dissecting and breaking it down with uh fun facts history uh plenty of knowledge this is where it's at when it comes to i think in my opinion uh exploring learning and understanding because i think at the end of the day understanding uh, it translates to appreciating. I think when someone really appreciates the understanding, then things do taste better
2: absolutely and I think you know just by trying new wines from different regions you get to travel the world you know we love traveling to the regions of Greece especially in this group I think anyone joining us now is a... loves Greek but mm-hmm. uh, you know Greece is such a unique and diverse country that you could go to all these different regions and try something completely different with a whole different story and history behind it so you know, I definitely recommend continue to try new things and travel travel through the, vi- the villages and, and vineyards of Greece through their wines
1: Susanna, anything that you want to kind of include uh, towards this last part of our segment about Nemea? Anything that you want to add before we kind of come to a close?
0: Well, in, in, in talking about the different regions, um, remember that in ancient times, Greece was just a whole series of tribes. They weren't united Greece. And so uh, when you took each region, such as Nemea and, and the others and, and, the Sp- and Sparta, which certainly became the dominant force in the, the Peloponnesus was a collection of different tribals, tribes of regions. And, and that's partly why you're getting so many different indigenous grapes and approaches to the wines. So um, yeah. if, if we think of Greece as united, um, it's only been united for a very short time. It was uh, diverse and tribal and, and uh, and essentially, what held it together was the Greek Orthodox religion, as yeah. opposed to a government.
1: And I'm still surprised that we're still united. <laughs>
0: we're apparently, here too. <laughs> uh,
1: right, 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 right. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I
3: think we're good. We're, 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 we're no more questions. And I think, I mean, I had an amazing. This, this was actually a really good. Uh, webinar. I, I learned a lot myself. Uh, I had a lot of fun, and it like flew by. And I just want to say thank you so much, uh, Susanna. Your 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 knowledge, uh, your history. I mean, I'm a, I'm a history geek myself. And like sometimes when you like teach me these things, which I'm on the internet like basically 12 hours a day. I'm like, how do I not know these things? Like, thank you so much for 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 the knowledge that you bring, Johnny. I mean. You're our brother, man. So
2: thank you you so much for everything
3: you're doing. Thank you so much for the knowledge you bring. Thank you so much for the multiple, multiple webinars that you do with us. We love you. And, you know, you're a handsome guy. You look like me. That's what I hear. So, uh, you know, that's a bonus for you.
1: And and before we forget, I want to also add that for those of us that are intrigued about the wines that we were discussing and tasting, uh, they are available on our platform, on our Shopping cart at urbanwineclub.co and also greekwineclub.co. I should mention that as well. And coming soon, uh, there's another platform that Ari's going to mention that we can find all of our Greek wine products along with Greek food products.
3: I, I wasn't actually going to mention it because you're all business. I'm all just, you know, uh, loving everybody, but I'll mention <laughs> it. We're, we're releasing an, a, a Greek shopping app. So look out for that. Uh, but something very important, I think... Uh, Dear to all of our hearts, uh, we have a, a donation campaign for uh the people of Samos uh for the earthquake, so we'll uh, we'll post the link to that as well with our video and podcast. But I just want to say thank you so much again, Johnny. You're awesome, you know your stuff, man, and and we appreciate your time. Um, Susanna, you are amazing, you have four books coming out, and you still made it here. Um, and I didn't even sing. My my official Oh Susanna song to you when you join tonight. <laughs>
1: yeah, next one. I'll, next one. <laughs>
3: I'll, I'll do it next time. I forgot this time. But, it's a hey, non,
0: not, Ari. It's a nonsense song, so for you it's appropriate. Oh yes,
3: exactly. <laughs> see, see, Susanna
0: knows me very
3: well. thank you everybody for listening thank you everybody for watching thanks everybody out there thank you Johnny, thank you Susanna, thank you Foti we will see you guys next time thanks everyone and good night (laughs)